only know one way. That's the Padre way. I'm proud as heck to be a San Diego Padre. I played for one team. I played in one town. Smith is ready. Wynn waiting to pitch. There's a drive. Right center field. Base hit. And there it is. Oh, doctor. You can hang a star on that, baby. A star for the ages for Tony Gwynn. Number 3,000. Broadcasting from America's finest digital studios, this is the 5.5 Podcast. Today, the guys will talk about the extension for Andy Green. They'll say farewell to Jared Weaver. And Tati's Jr. was promoted to double A. Suck it, Barry Bloom. Here are your hosts, Danny Ortiz and Eric LeBoom. And welcome back, everybody, to the 5.5 Podcast. After one week off, we are back. Again, I'm your host, Danny Ortiz, alongside my best friend, Eric LeBoom. Welcome back, Eric. It's been a little while. It has been a little while. I have to apologize. I, I feel like it's my fault that we didn't do an episode last week. I don't think it's your fault. I think it's, uh, what's this, Travis Wood? Yeah, we'll blame it on Travis Wood. So here's my thing. If you, if you know me, I refuse to leave a game early. I hate the idea. Of, I don't understand. There's a certain uncle of mine that loves to leave early. Why do you go to the game to leave before the ninth inning? We're not Dodger fans. That's what I'm saying. So this all stems from when I was younger. I believe it was a 98 season, the year I fell in love with baseball. Oh, I went to like 20 games that year. It was amazing. We were sitting in right field, and we happened to leave early for whatever reason. It was a school night or whatever the hell. I was eight years old. So we left early, and by the time we got home, it had gone into extra innings, and Steve Finley hit a walk-off home run right to right field. Was that the grand slam that Mel Proctor went like no. nuts for? No, because no, I Some remember walk-off home run. I remember watching that one, but no, Steve Finley walk-off homer. Ever since, I will not leave a game early. And Travis Wood is the epitome of a human rain delay. <laughs> like I went to the game and I was like, Jesus Christ! So we got surprise, surprise. We got I got free tickets again from Kelsey's boss. So we got off work at 7.15. That's our studio announcer, for those who are not aware, first-time listeners. <laughs> hey, that's, that's why I'm marrying her. Don't tell her. So we got off work at 7.15. We got free tickets. I said, you know what? All right, let's go. So we, I got back to my place around 8 o'clock. We got to the game. We probably walked through the gates around 8.30. It was the top of the third inning. <laughs> I was like, how is this happening? And as the game was going on longer and longer, I, I texted you. I said, hey, guy, I don't think it's going to happen tonight. Yeah, what day was this? I can't remember. The, this was last Monday. Last, that's what day it was, Monday, because I had said, now I had some scheduling issues, hashtag single dad. So I told Eric, look, if we're going to tape, Monday's better than Tuesday because i got to go in earlier on Wednesdays. So he's like, okay, yeah, I think we can do it. And then I'd say at about 9, 30, 10 o'clock, he's like, I'm still at the game, and we're not even in the ninth inning yet. Yeah. And I was like, I can't leave. Like, you you know me, I can't leave. Yeah, so, I don't blame you. Yeah, so the, the game was incredibly boring. Like, I don't I don't blame people for not going out to the games anymore, really, especially now when Travis Wood. That's the worst part about Travis Wood is that we have to watch him all of next year, hopefully <laughs> half of next year. Hopefully he gets dealt. Uh, but, yeah, that was awful. You know, one thing that I noticed at the game I want to get your take on was um, who's worse, glove guy or those fucking kids doing the dab every time every time they get on the big screen it's the dab now listen i'm a 31 year old man i am not hip i haven't been hip in about 10 years (laughs) so i don't even know if the dab is still in doesn't cam newton do the dab are you telling them to get off your lawn (laughs) no because i uh, rent a room for my parents so i don't really have a lawn (laughs) but uh cam newton does a dab right yeah so i guess it's still cool because cam newton seems like a cool guy snappy dresser but no it's the dab it's it's absolutely the dab because the glove guy see before you and my 
cousin started making fun of me, I would bring my glove to games because there's just kind of a thing, right? You bring your glove to a game. So even though maybe some seats it's kind of silly, bringing your glove to a game is kind of like a tradition. I'm not for all traditions, but that's one of them I'm cool with. The dab is completely stupid, and it looks ridiculous. Another thing you used to do before we started making fun of you, you used to wear your hat way to the side. Oh, like, I had the Fernando than Rodney working. Oh. Worse than Rodney. It was so embarrassing. I have pictures of this. You can probably find photos of me on Facebook. Here's my Not under my account. <laughs> here's, here's my thing, though, with Glove Guy. So, Glove Guy, sitting right in front of me. We're in the, uh, we're in the Premier Club seats. Um, it's behind home plate, the section right behind the field box seats. And there's obviously the net behind home plate. We're not getting a ball. Oh, yeah. It's there's a foul the, ball hotbed. No, not where we're at. Because <laughs> there's the net behind home plate. And there's Toyota Terrace directly over us. We are not getting a foul ball. This guy wore his glove the entire game. He was with his wife or whoever the hell he's with. His wife, some lady. Escort. He had his glove on the whole game. And he was sitting there. <laughs> like like fisting his glove. Like, hey, we're getting the next uh, one. Hey, every, better, better. Every single pitch. Every pitch. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, what the fuck is your problem? You know what? Speaking of waiting for a foul ball every pitch, I don't think I've ever told you this. I saw myself on KUSI 9 one time. Oh, boy. Pouting as like a 10-year-old because I was sitting in the stands, and we're probably in the cheap seats. But they saw me sitting in the stands at a Padre loss, pouting because I didn't get a foul ball. And they said something along the lines of, boy, this fan went home happy or something <laughs> like that. That's my shining moment right there on television. That's great. Speaking of glove guy. That's great. Yeah, I, I can't stand glove guy. I mean... The dab is worse. At least uh, the glove guy, I think when you get older, I was probably a little bit too old to be bringing my glove to the game. But, I mean, if I ever get... When I take my daughter, yeah, I'll bring my glove. But if you're just sitting there with your wife, that's eh, a, little, a little different. Glove kid is great. Yeah, what about glove, glove dad kid. and son or glove dad and daughter or glove kid and parent? No. No? If you're above the age of 15, don't bring your glove. It's embarrassing. Uh. You should be embar- You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> that is so embarrassing. Uh, but anyways. I, I might bring my glove to protect my daughter. We'll see. If she has her dad's uh, acumen in the field, I'm going to need to bring my glove. <laughs> yeah, so there's a whole lot going on here uh, recently. So we got a lot to touch on. We oh, got- tons to touch on. Let's uh, let's get to some breaking well, news. Yeah, a little bit of breaking news. My favorite. I think I think the biggest news from Sunday was not the Chargers losing to the Saints. I'm stunned. How many showed up to that game? <laughs> I don't know. About twenty grand. If That's that- it. That's less than last time. It was not that. It was in fact. Was Fernando. it the, uh, oh, I was going to say, was it the uh, broadcast calling the Chargers San Diego takes a timeout? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was great. Oh, that was great. It was, in fact, Fernando Tatis Jr. If you're listening to our show and you listen every week, then you already know. Fernando Tatis Jr. completely skips Lake Elsinore straight to San Antonio. What now, are your thoughts on that? I'm pretty upset about that. No, I'm really not upset. I'm bummed out that because, and, and for those who have been listening for a while now, we have been talking for months about Tatis Jr. finally getting into Elsinore because I had said before, if he gets into Elsinore, we are going to a game. We might even live podcast prior yeah. to the game once he gets up there. We'll probably decide to screw us all, including the Elsinore owners and the Fort Wayne owners, and moved him all the way to double A at 18 years old. I am stunned uh, beyond belief when uh, we, we had a little bit of an inside track uh, in terms of uh, Tatis going up. There were already rumors floating prior to his promotion towards the end of last week so we're thinking wow that's a big jump uh but i'm stunned that they are actually that aggressive with a kid who's only 18 years old yeah we had heard we'll say whispers yes we had heard whispers that that it may happen and these this source we'll call him i was like yeah maybe 
Yeah. Maybe. Well, when you told me, I was like, that, that, really? That's really It was aggressive. shocking. Yeah. It was shocking. I'm really happy about it. Oh, I, I am too. I mean, really, they got the, the minor league playoffs uh, are coming up. And so a lot of people are saying, hey, you know, he's abandoning his Fort Wayne team to go up to San Antonio right when they're going to the playoffs. Do you think that that matters as prospects to kind of stick together and win as a team at the lower levels? I don't think it matters at that point because remember the the double-A San Antonio team that won the World Series that one year? They had Hundley, Venable, Headley. None of those scrubs made the playoffs with us. So I don't think it really matters. I think it's good for them to kind of, you know, get the playoff experience, like I've said before, just because, like, you've worked such a long season. I think the people that get screwed in terms of the play, really the only thing the playoffs matters for in minor leagues is the owners because that'll generate more revenue for them. Oh, yeah. Um, but for Tatis, it's clearly about his development. Here's the biggest thing that makes me excited. They have an 18-year-old shortstop and a 19-year-old second baseman in uh, Urias. Yeah. We have two of our future pieces. I mean, probably their two best offensive prospects on the same damn team who probably have the same estimated time of arrival at this point. That's going to be a very exciting up the middle because you're going to have hedges behind the plate. Yeah. Up the middle, you're going to have Tatis Jr., you're going to have Urias, and you're going to have Margot. Oh, and remember what I've been saying, That's a fans. great start. Yeah, remember what I've been saying. I have said all along that I think you build your team up the middle. If you are strong up the middle, you have a chance to compete. Look at any team. Uh, I mean, last year, look at the Cubs up the middle. Look who they had, Fowler in center. They had uh, Contreras and Montero behind the plate. They had Addison Russell up the middle. So, I mean, if you can – oh, and then uh, Zobris played second, and Baez, who's electric. If you have a strong up the middle, you're going to compete because those are, to me, the most important positions, catcher, shortstop, center field. And we had talked about how maybe Urias will come up and play short. That that idea of mine is completely blown no. out of the water now. Gone. Gone. Completely gone because now him and Tatis, I think, are both going to probably get some call-ups at some point next year in September. I think by 2020, that's your starting shortstop and second baseman. I think if Tatis keeps it up, he could see major league time by the All-Star break next year. I, You might be right. You know what? One thing we kind of skipped over with Tatis, um, and this is why I think they may have moved him up and may have kept him down. Because let's be honest. I mean, he had a little bit of an adjustment period in uh, the early part of the season. He got better month after month after month. And I mean, to a point where he was dominating. He's basically the Michelle Baez of offense, just dominating, stealing bases at will, hitting home runs at will. He broke the single-season record for Fort Wayne home runs in single A. Easily. At 18. Yeah. <laughs> at Easily. 18. Yeah. So I think they've been wanting to move up for a while. I think they let him hit that accomplishment and then move him up to double A for the playoffs because it's actually a ballsy strategy by Preller because when he gets into the playoffs, they're going to be playing the best teams. You're not going to be running through different systems. You're playing all the best teams in double A in your division. So that's, that's a pretty ballsy move. But I'm really excited. It's really exciting to know. That he's that close. I mean, he's that close. He's two levels away now. Yeah, he really is. I mean, he would have went into a playoff push with Fort Wayne anyways. But, they, you know, you always say double A is the true test mm -hmm. to see what they got. And to throw him right into the fire, that's baptism by fire. Oh, yeah. I mean, going he's to where he's going. Ex absolutely. He's I facing, couldn't be more excited. Yeah, he's facing college pitchers now. Guys who are 22, 23 years old who are on the cusp of, of breaking into Major League Baseball. That roster is absolutely stacked because just on the infield, You've got Tatis Jr., who, by the way, and we're going to reference Keith Law a little bit later, one of my favorites, Keith Law of ESPN has him ranked as a top 15. He's saying he's going to probably be top 10 by the end of the year. Right. You've got Urias, who's, who's borderline in some aspects, in other aspects very much a top 100 prospect. Josh Naylor's on that team. Lauer, Luke Casey, Quantrill. I mean, you've got five guys 
who legitimately could be a, an everyday part of this roster by 2019, 2020 at the latest. That is so exciting because they're only two levels away. Yeah, and going back to the original question there, in my opinion, personal development trumps team development. Absolutely. Any day of the week. Absolutely. And I love, I put on Twitter, I love how aggressive they are with promoting with good performance. Yeah, and demoting with uh, with bad performance, which we'll get into later. But uh, my favorite Keith Law actually got into it with uh, good old uh, Barry Bloom on Twitter, as Eric is going to note here. Yeah, so, you know, one other thing that happened over the weekend was <laughs> the, the umpires... They were wearing the white oh, wristbands oh. to protest the players being mean to them. This is what I was trying to figure out when we were going over our our pre uh, our pre show uh, outline here. What the hell else was we were supposed to talk about? And yeah. this was it: the white wristband umpires. So the reason I bring up the white the white wristbands is I think Barry Bloom is going to be wrapped in white wristbands <laughs> at the rate that he's going <laughs> with white, Padres just Twitter. Just a white tube top. Dude, as soon as Tatis got moved up, Barry Bloom was just getting blown up on Twitter. <laughs> he's one step closer to being right that there's nothing to look forward to in Fort Wayne with Tatis gone. So yeah. Barry Bloom. Well, technically now he's right. There's nothing. There's nothing to look forward to in Fort Wayne for Tatis. Yeah, well, for Tatis, but, I mean, there is still Morajon. Yeah. There is still yeah. Avila. There is still Michelle. Yeah. Now, you to know. recap, and I think this was about two or three episodes, if uh, our fans want to go back into the archive here, Barry Bloom, I think, watched one game of Tatis Jr. and said he looks like a typical Padres shortstop. He compared him to Everett Cabrera. Exactly. Compared him to Everett Cabrera, said he didn't look good in the field, didn't look good at the plate, based on one Lousy game. Well, good old Keith Law came to the rescue today. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, so really, there's just one little... There's just one back and forth, and this is where you can cut off. There's more to it, but he goes... Um, Barry Bloom, he says, Are you putting Tatis in the same realm as Bryant, Trout, Harper, even Addison Russell? Kind of weird to throw Russell in there, but I okay. I think Tatis's tools are bigger than Addison Russell's. And <laughs> Keith Law, as much as I've talked shit about him before, he comes to the rescue. He goes, He's a top 10 prospect right now. As of all of those guys were, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just really blatant. Yeah. Really blatant, excuse me. Very, very blunt take by Mr. Law. Yeah. Who's a good follow on Twitter, by the way. And Barry Bloom, he just basically goes, oh, where do you get that? Our site has Tatis as the 58th top prospect. I just want to throw it in there. Barry Bloom says our site because he works for MLB.com. He's actually not Jonathan Mayo doing all the hard work. So he's just saying our site because he's guilty by association, not because he's actually a scout who knows other scouts. Yeah. And Barry Bloom went on to say, like, hey, I respect your opinion. Respect mine. It's like, OK, guy, whatever you say. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, okay, Barry Bloom. So I'm really, to recap on Tatis, we couldn't be more excited. Uh, we were texting each other back and forth all day. I really wanted to record yesterday on Sunday, but again, scheduling got in the way. But yep. here we are, and it's kind of funny that Monday we couldn't do it because it's too late, and here we are at 1 in the morning yeah. <laughs> recording our podcast. It so. took a little while. We had some technical difficulties with the uh, the America's Finest Digital 2.0 system. So yeah, uh, But we are here. Now, speaking of promotions, Tatis getting promoted, that was big news. The other big news coming out of Major League Camp uh, is actually Hunter Renfro getting demoted. Now, I want to get your take on this, Eric, because, you know, I, I've been a big critic of Renfro uh, going into the season. I know you were on more of the optimistic side for him. I was more pessimistic about, you know, his inability to make contact consistently and uh, his inability to draw walks. The plate discipline is always a, a concern for me. I didn't think he was doing—he's obviously not doing great— 
But I didn't think he was doing so bad that he would get a demotion. So I was pretty stunned that they sent him down for Jabari Blast. What was your uh, reaction to that? What is Renfro's war? Point I'm just, one. I'm just <laughs> fucking around. So with Renfro, I was surprised to see him go down. And my first thought was, and just knowing how the Padres are and my thoughts on the Padres, as soon as I saw that, I thought, service time. Yeah. They're trying to stop his clock. But, so, I mean, to whoever's point on Twitter, a lot of people were saying, if they really did it for service time, they'd do the same for Margot. Yeah, they would They would do the same for Margot. Although, you know what? They Well, Margot is also on the DL. I don't know if the DL hurts service time. I'm pretty sure it does. It might. We should probably know this, and I'm sure someone will correct us on Twitter. I'm sure but, they will. But you did point out, too, that with Renfro, and this was between our conversations. Not, I don't know if you did it on Twitter, but when you and I were going back and forth on it uh, when it happened... You had mentioned they already have him, I mean, technically throw arbitration through like 31 years old as it stands. Yeah. And Getting that extra year at 32 just wouldn't make sense. Yeah, it's it's superfluous. Word of the week. We word of the week, superfluous. I love that word. I mean, you don't, at that age, we have we will have moved on by then. I, I would, would imagine so, yeah, yeah. I would assume. So that extra year of control is meaningless for Renfro. So, and that's the, there I go again with like hot take. Oh my God, service time. Like these fucking guys, it's service time. They want to keep an extra year. And then I start to think about it and I'm like, you know, it's not service time. Like he is just, he's not performing. He's not. Uh, Andy Green. But on the same time, he hasn't been that bad. He hasn't been awful. And I if mean, you're going to replace him with Blash, I don't know, man. Like I, I, I don't mind it because I think Blash can be, I, I like Blash. I think I, I had high hopes that Blash and Dickerson would form a very solid platoon. Uh, guys who aren't going to hit for a ton of average, but get on base and have, I mean, light tower power. But um, I'm okay with that if it's going to give Renfro a little bit more opportunity to develop. I will give credit to Andy Green uh, for saying that the reason they're sending him down is the plate discipline issues. If you look at his overall stat line, you just take the home runs out of it. Because people are going to look at the home run number and see it's 20, and that's pretty sexy for a rookie because he's probably... If they'd have kept him up there, he could probably squeak his way to 25, maybe even have a hot month and hit 30. Um, but if you look at the overall bat for a bat production, you got a guy who's hitting 230. You know, batting average isn't everything, but 230 is pretty rough. The worst part is it's not like he's Will Myers walking 10% of the time. He doesn't walk at all. He's got a 285 on base, paltry. He does slug 443. That puts him only 10% below league average. So to that point, in August so far, two extra base hits. And two walks since uh, June the 28th. Yeah. So he's drawn two walks. Now, remember uh, way back in May, we were actually thinking, wow, you know, Renfro looks like he's making a, a conscious adjustment to take more pitches, try to you know work his way through the count to get in a better hitter's count. And he drew more walks, and it was actually like, wow, maybe he's actually making the adjustment. But it's fallen off since because that was all of May. Since the last week of June, again, two walks, two extra base hits in August. I mean, it's it's been a rough go. I am surprised they sent him down, though, because he wasn't terrible um, – Offensively, 10% below league average. He's close enough to say he's an average, you know, replacement level player. I am stunned that they sent him down. I think, honestly, maybe they don't want to give up on Blast as quickly as we think, and they figure this is a good time to swap them out. Well, with with Renfro, also, you got to look at it as, I mean, at this point, with are, would you rather go forward with having Blash give it another shot? Or would you rather just have Renfro work through his problems at the major league level? I would go with the latter, personally. Because, I don't get me wrong, I wanted Blast to get every opportunity. but And we've mentioned this before. Perella has earned the opportunity to play left field every day. Because you've had him out there, Jankowski, Blash. Uh, what was the other guy? Uh, uh, Cordero, Franchi Cordero. Yeah. So I think Perella's been the one. I mean, he's consistently slugged 500 the entire time he's been up here. 
but I, I would much rather have Renfro work on it at the major league level. But, I, I mean, I'm not the guy making the shots. I trust Preller's judgment. I've been burned on that a couple times. But I, I also, We all have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But maybe it's another thing because, I mean, Green compared the Renfro situation to Spangenberg, who was upset that he didn't get an opportunity to break camp. And we were stunned. We thought Spangenberg was breaking camp. When he didn't make camp, we're like, oh, thank God. And to Spangenberg credits, he's been great. Yeah. Especially of late. I mean, he is raking right now. Very good. Very, very good. He's got double-digit home runs. And he's, he is smashing right now uh, from an offensive standpoint. He looks great at third. And I think Green mentioned, like, you know, when we sent him down, he felt like, I have to prove myself. I'm going to show these guys. And hopefully um, that will be Renfro's mentality because I do think the walks are an issue. I mean, I'm not you – know, I know people don't think walks are sexy, but you cannot not walk. We saw what happened with Matt Kemp and how frustrated people were because he didn't draw walks. He was just an automatic out or he had a home run every so often. I get that you want Renfro to be better, but how much better is he going to get going down to El Paso? I mean, he hit 300 in El Paso last year. Obviously, it did it did jack shit for him when it came to his major league approach. Like he needs to work through these things. Going to El Paso is meaningless for him. Tonight, his first game down there, he's a homer away from the cycle. He popped out in the ninth to end, so, uh, at the end of the game. Some funny tweet on that that said his cycle should include a walk. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in terms of sending him down, I think what you tell a guy like Renfro is like, look, we don't care if he hit 600 down there. We want to see. A, an actual like tangible change in your approach because I think with Renfro he was he was I mean he's a first round pick he was a legitimate first round pick when they picked him up out of college his ceiling at the time was considered to be Josh Hamilton-esque um, in terms of you know, he's gonna be a very good corner outfielder with light tower power very athletic but you know he just never developed that plate discipline so I don't think they're gonna look at numbers and say well he's gonna go out down there he's hitting 500 he's fine I think it's 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 a real deal that he needs to work on plate discipline and approach and putting himself in a hitter's count and not just hacking and relying on raw ability. Because, I mean, yeah, the raw ability is there. He's slugging 443. I mean, that's wonderful. you got to think, if he can get on base at a 50% better clip, all of a sudden he's slugging almost 500. And that's, I mean, that's just doing, you know, really rude math. I mean, that's, that's probably not even close to what it would be. But you can see the power potential, what he could be, a borderline all-star, if he learned to draw a damn walk. So I think that's why they're sending him down. I don't think his AAA numbers are going to be indicative of what they're looking for. I just I don't get what they want to see out of him down there. I mean, I get it, but they have to know that when he goes down there, he's going to rake. Well, I think they know that. But I also think with AAA, it's a good point. It's a good place for guys like Renfro, who are borderline right now, to get working because they are facing major league pitching. There's guys down there who have pitched in the major leagues. You know, the John Lannons of the world. You know, uh, yeah, the, but... the Brad Pennies of the world who... Are major league caliber they're clearly better than triple a but they're not good enough for uh major league baseball or they're kind of like the the 25th man so i do think it'll give him an opportunity and if he goes up there with a game plan and it's like look don't worry about doing this just work on this particular approach it could pan out it worked out for spangenberg sending him down there and make him making the adjustments so who knows it could also be a confidence thing who knows yeah. i mean hey go down there and we want you to get better and he gets naturally better because it's yeah. in el paso and he's like hey i can actually hit yeah and he well, comes back i think he I, the way i think some play, a lot of players think is they don't look at on base percentage they look at home runs and rbs yeah he's got 20 jacks which is second on the team even if you, I, I don't think hedge is gonna hit 20 no. i just don't see the consistency from hedges there so I think Renfro is probably looking at it like, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm not, maybe I'm hitting 230. So I think he looks at it from that standpoint. I think, and I really like this. Really, 
is that from a team standpoint, they're pushing the idea of like, look, you make far too many outs and you are far too aggressive for a guy who has that much power. Make them come to you. Chipper Jones said it about Josh Hamilton one year. You'll take your walks because these guys know you have power. If they know you have power, they're not going to come to you and you have the right and you have the luxury of being really selective of what you swing at. So take the walks when you get them and when they make a mistake, that's when you crush it. And I think that's why they're sending Renfro down to more push that, you know, learn to take your walks, learn to take advantage of your power so that when you come back up, you have a better idea and a better approach and you can be a better player overall. Cause we know he can hit. It's just a matter of adjusting so that he can get on base enough in between the home runs. Cause I do think he has 30 home run power. Easy. Oh yeah. Easily. Easy. I think he can be, I think his ceiling is all-star borderline all-star caliber right fielder. It's just a matter of making that adjustment at the plate to get on base at a 330 clip. I think that might be a little bit of a stretch, but really... That's what I'm hoping for. I, 330 to 350 would be nice. I think he's more 315 at tops, but I think 330 could be his peak. Here I come with the cliche hot take. Oh, God. It would be advantageous for them with the with the tank. Second word of the day, advantageous. With the tank going on, it would benefit them to throw him out there and let him work through his struggles out and right. That's true. I don't think Jabari Blast is going to be much of an upgrade. I think Blast is going to get on base more and probably slug similarly. And probably play adequate defense. So I don't really think it's going to be, you know, Blash is not, you know, a, a projected three or four win player. I mean, he's probably a, a league average regular at best. And I mean, I'm talking at absolute best case scenario. I just, I think that this is where you kind of notice, like, it's the little things, like with Andy Green. And we'll, we'll get into his extension here a little bit later. Um, but that's the kind of thing where with Andy Green, I feel like if this was a manager, and really this, what I'm about to say doesn't mean shit. But a guy like Joe Madden, if uh, Renfro was struggling the way it was, you would see Renfro in the leadoff spot. Yeah. Just to, just to fuck around, you know? Like, you'll have him up there say, hey, we're going to knock you out of this. Everybody's like, a little bit different. I will give Green credit. He did. It took him a little while. But I think once I, I think it took him a little while to believe in Perella. But once he saw Perella hitting, a, he did move Myers down. He moved Myers actually behind Solarte. So Myers batting like fifth these days. So I do think Green is aware of it. But I also think Green, you know, the difference with, with Madden is I think he does it to get guys hot. Like Rizzo, we know Rizzo gets on base. So it's like, okay, let's put him in the leadoff spot. We need a leadoff hitter anyways. We'll see if we can get Rizzo hot. With Renfro, I think you're just putting more pressure on him to be something he really isn't. He doesn't have play discipline. Although I could see putting him in the leadoff spot and making him take the first pitch might help. But I, I don't think that would work for that particular type of player. And believe me, I know how dumb it is to put Renfro in the leadoff spot. I'm just, I'm just saying, for yeah. an example... You know a guy like Joe Madden would do some shit yeah, like that. that's true. So. But, I mean, Andy Green did bat Will Myers when they had a decent lineup you know, with Kemp sitting there. You can bat Kemp third. He did put Will Myers second, which I thought was brilliant last year. So uh, I, I have uh, nothing but good things to say on that front. Um, in terms of other brilliant moves, sad Jared news. Weaver news coming sad out. News. Sad news. Sadly brilliant. Very sad. Jared Weaver is calling it a career after 12 years. Now, Eric... Uh, has poured over his emotions. He's he's had a rough weekend since this was announced. So I do want to give Eric the floor here. He has a, a heartfelt letter for Jared Weaver. If you guys will just bear with me here. Yeah. So let me let me say a few words here. I, I wrote a I wrote a farewell letter to uh, Mr. Jared Weaver. Poured here your guts out to thank him, and I have a lot of guts. So to thank <laughs> him for <laughs> to thank him for his contribution. So let's let's get a little bit of music started here. Ready? It's Oh, man, my heartstrings are being tugged. <laughs> Dear Jared, let me just start by saying thank you. 
in a season where the goal was to be awful, you were one of the few who actually did his job. When the Padres first signed you, I thought to myself, man, this is going to be a train wreck. And boy, was I right. However, what I had underestimated was your commitment to this organization and its approach that being bad was actually pretty good. Like that start you made against the Rangers in May. You had given up seven runs before I had even taken a bite of my triple threat pork sandwich. The crack of Ian Desmond's bat and the smash of the ball off the top tank still keeps me up at night, hard as a rock. You were always a bulldog, Jared. When Rizzo drop kicked Hedges like it was a finishing move in Mortal Kombat, I knew that cream puff Chassin wouldn't hit back. He's not strong. He's not tough. He's not you. In closing, although our time together was far too short, your contributions to this tank will never be forgotten. You were a good soldier, Jared. From this day forward, when we... From this day forward, when we enter the park and we see the number 6, <laughs> 19, 35, 51, and 42 proudly retired just past those front gates, we'll always remember number 27 and everything he did for this team. Via con Dios, Jared. Thank you. God's <laughs> got the music. <laughs> I was really sad. Oh, man. Oh man, that was amazing, Eric. That I don't think your wedding vows are gonna top that. Good luck in October, pal. You're never topping that. <laughs> that was absolutely amazing. And I have to agree with you. I have to agree with you. I'm stunned that he retired because I was been I've been wondering. We know he hasn't been hurt. We no, know that. Absolutely not. Now his his press statement in terms of retirement is like, you know, my body's not allowing me to compete at the level I want to. Hundred percent agree, guy. You can't throw eighty three miles an hour. But I'm stunned that they just never just ran him out there because, I mean, just like a look at his numbers here. Now, number one, he pitched for 12 seasons. Let's give Jerry Weaver some credit. He was very good for a very long time, up until about two or three years ago, and then he just fell off the wagon. But, I mean, he was very good for a while. He even had a no-hitter. Yeah, he threw a no-hitter. You know, he made the playoffs a couple times. He was a staff ace for some very good Angels teams. Um, this year, however, just absolute team tank. Now, remember, he hasn't pitched since, like, what, May? I think so, yeah. So just to put it this way, after about a month and a couple of weeks, according to baseball reference, he was worth minus 1.3 war. <laughs> so he was basically on pace to be worth minus one win per month or minus six war. We'd probably have the top pick right now if we'd have let Jared Weaver pitch. I said it in jest, but he did his job. They knew what they were doing when they signed oh, him. Oh, absolutely. And I think Weaver didn't understand that. And then he kind of realized, like, hmm, maybe I don't have it anymore. Uh, in terms of the numbers, they're wonderful. He has a 7.44 earned run average. His fielding independent pitching, which this is just home runs, walks, and uh, and uh, strikeouts. So that's, oh all it, that's all it does. It's well over eight. I don't have it in front of me, but it's well over eight. Uh, he gave up 41 runs in 42 and a third inning. He had a 3.4 home run per nine inning rate. And his ERA plus was, well, basically his run prevention was 43% below league average. Why did we let him go on the DL? I don't know. Why? I don't know. Maybe he really was hurt for like a little bit, like maybe two weeks, but he was gone for a long time. He's been gone since May. He's on the 10-day DL. Yeah. So I'd be interested to know the conversations that went on 
between him and the team. I, I have to think it's like, look, guy, we're, we're going to pay you. We're not going to release you. We need pitching. We're not going to release you. We're probably going to trade at least once. We all knew Cahill, Chassin, and Richard, one of those three, if not multiple guys, were getting traded. It ended up being one. So they need pitching. And I, had, I think they had no intention of letting him go because I think they're just going to pay him the $3 million. It wasn't worth it for them to release him. And I don't think Weaver wanted to go because he wanted the money. So I think he retired and he probably gets paid out anyways. I don't know how it really works. I think it was really a pride thing. I, I think he was he had a five earned run average last year. If you shave a half run off of that, it's all of a sudden, hey, if he goes six innings every time out and gives up three runs, that's four and a half ERA. You know, we, we could take that. I think this year he thought maybe I can get a little bit better from last year, maybe hold serve. And mm -hmm. I'm going to be throwing at Petco Park. Yeah. That should help. I have Ballsley. That'll help me. Yeah. Oh, wait. I still throw 83. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, the only thing I could think of, because Angels, Angel Stadium's pretty, it's fairly neutral, but I think it still leans more towards pitchers. It's a pretty big outfield. The only thing I can think of is he thought, you know what? I won't be playing American League's teams primarily, where I have four or five series against AL teams instead of all of them. So maybe that pitcher, that extra out in the pitcher will help me out. No, absolutely not. His ERA was about two and a half runs higher in his short time in San Diego than it was in Anaheim last year. Excuse me, L.A. Yeah, and let's let's not forget, he doesn't have Mike Trout out in center field anymore. No, he doesn't. And he has Manny Margot, but don't get me wrong. I mean, Manny Margot is not going to climb into the second deck to rob home runs. Yeah, exactly. 3.4 home runs per nine innings, Eric. Dude, he got lit the fuck up. It was amazing. I loved watching it because he would still throw inside. Not only inside... He threw up in it. Yeah. I mean, like, letter high inside, like, he could gas guys. It's amazing. I'm like, why doesn't he throw, like, two seamers low in the zone? And I, I have to assume it's just, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's just how he pitched, and that's how he attacked guys. And, God, he got hammered. Then nothing is ever – I will never forget uh, MLB Network's quick pitch where they basically showed a Bugs Bunny cartoon yeah. with Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, their, their heads or faces photoshopped on them with – Jared Weaver pitching as Bugs Bunny, just getting shellacked. It was like an assembly line of line drives. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't show a Charlie Brown meme on that one. <laughs> that would have been pretty good, actually. Well, and for him, like, he threw for 12 years. I'd say overall, up until the last part, he had a respectable career. He had a really good career. He had a so, really good career. I think, honestly, if he hadn't... I, if he hadn't gotten hurt and then his velocity didn't just die out, he's probably like a John Lackey-esque guy. Yeah. Because I look at him, Weaver in his prime was, to me, never an ace. But I look at him and think, like, hey, you know, if he holds up and he stays healthy, that's probably Quantrill's peak. Oh, boy. I mean, Jared Weaver was very good for a very long time. He, like, three years ago, he's like a five-win player. He's very good for a very long time. He was just never, like, the man. Why'd you mention Quantrill and Weaver in the same sentence? Because when I, if you actually, I think people were so caught up in what Weaver's done the last couple of years that they kind of forget how good he actually really was. And I'm actually going to pull this up because as much as we like to make fun of Weaver the last couple of years, he was at one point a top prospect. I actually got to go to one of his starts. Yeah, a lot of us were pissed that they didn't draft him back yeah. in 04. Yeah, the Weaver, Verlander, Drew, they had all kinds of options. Who'd we take that year? <laughs> Matt Bush. Good old scumbag Matt Bush. Matty Ice. Yeah, Matt Bush. Went to high school right down the street from us here. In, uh, Threw him PJ. out at tryouts in Mission Bay and got yelled at for not hitting the cutoff, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, Weaver had some really good years. He had a, a rough spot, but from ages 27 through, let's see here, 20, 31, 
His ERA was no higher than 3.59. Now in the AL, 3.5 and lower is, I mean, it's excellent. He's got that extra DH in there. He was very good. Even before that, 3.75, 3.91, 2.56. He only had one bad year. He's 25. Uh, but other than that, he was always very good. If you look at, you know, if you like to look at that kind of thing, war for him, his rookie year, he was a five-win player. That's a rookie. I know. But he's, he was, <laughs> shut up. Shut up. He was very, oh, very oh, good. Sorry. 2011, he was absolutely elite. Uh, he was still very good at age 29. He was good at age 26. He had a nice run in his mid to late 20s where he's a legitimate, you know, he's a decent number one, a very good number two, but a definite top of the rotation starter. And I think people forget because he's been so bad of late. But he was very good for a long time. Really, it's the velocity. when he lo- And that's no surprise. Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah. Our studio announcer knows that. <laughs> when, when you lose that much velocity, you can't survive in the major leagues like that. You just can't. You look at Lincecum. As good as he's been, once he lost that velocity, he done. He was done. And you know what? I'll, I'll hand out uh, my... My uh, good old, my good old favorite Keith Law uh, pointers is that he said if Lincecum ever loses velocity, he's finished because he's short. He has no plane. Now Weaver was different. Weaver's tall. Weaver's tall. He's long. He's lanky. But I feel he, like he had no movement on his fastball either. He didn't. It was straight and flat. And yeah. it was well, that's like I said. It's weird. He doesn't throw two seamers. But I mean, even even three years ago in 2014 he was a three-win pitcher which is pretty solid i mean that's a solid above average pitcher let's see 2014 yeah he had a 359 era and then he just fell off 464 506 and 744 so it's amazing how like he's probably thinking yeah you know two years ago i was pretty good i'm gonna come in this year and see if i can find it i mean it literally <laughs> took him three years to hit a wall he's not even that old what is he 30 i think he's 34 yeah, yeah 34 years old and he's done yeah. He's done. You got a guy like John Lackey who's been pitching with solid but not great stuff. And Lackey's like, what, 40? Yeah, and to his credit, don't be mad at Weaver. He is not the one that offered him $3 million. Well, no. I mean, it could have been the Reds' problem. I'm glad it was ours. Yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> Even though they're, I'm pretty sure they're still tanking better than we are. That's, uh, that's uh. something we can get into with the tank. So didn't we swept the Reds, uh. which that was a pivotal tank series took two out of three from the phillies which was even a more pivotal tank series yeah i think the dodgers was it the dodgers just the dodgers recently took us two our, out of our three. nationals the nationals and nationals the dodgers. three out of four the nationals took three out of four the dodgers took two out of three so this is the thing we mentioned this uh two weeks ago on our last episode is that uh you know the the padre fans uh kind of going anti-team tank the reality is guys are playing bad teams the phillies are a bad team the giants are a really bad team um what was the other team you mentioned? The Reds are a really bad team. The Padres have some decent pieces, so they're going to compete against those teams. Those and you can say they're beat. overperforming. Oh, absolutely, by far. But when they get faced, as our good friend uh, Patrick Morgan mentioned, when they face a real team yeah. like the Dodgers and the Nationals, you know they might squeak out a win, but they're going to lose this. They're going to drop the series. I don't think the Dodgers have dropped a series since like April. Yeah, they're an absolute juggernaut, which is why I'm glad that we're going to be playing them quite a bit down the stretch. Because the fact is, whether you want to hear it or not, and it sucks to admit it, the Padres need to lose. The higher the draft pick they get, the more players like a Fernando Tatis Jr. that they can acquire. Fernando Tatis Jr. If he went in the draft this year, he's easily a first round pick. He might have been the number one overall pick. Yeah, he was like only a few months older than those kids that were playing the perfect yeah. game All American game. Yeah, exactly. Petco if if his week. if his dad moved to America and put him in you know the American schooling school system and everything, he's a first round pick this year. So if you want guys like that, you got to tank. So I'm glad that the Padres are playing the better teams. Uh, but speaking of tank, the man who has been uh, 
kind of trying to steer the ship and keep it from completely sinking, Andy Green was actually just rewarded with an extension through the 2021 season. What was your take on that news? You know, I was happy about it. I've, I've given Green a lot of shit about being as, a pussy. As has everybody. I mean, <laughs> I'm, when I first saw that, my, immediately thought, my immediate thought was, I'm happy for him that they're giving him a shot to see this thing through. I agree. I agree with you 100% because we've seen things like uh, Buck Showalter is a big example. Right. Every time Buck Showalter goes somewhere and helps build builds a culture, I mean, he's basically <laughs> there to, to try to you know right the ship. He gets fired, and then the team wins the World Series. He got fired, and the Yankees won with Joe Torre the next year. He got fired with the Diamondbacks, then Bob Brendley won the next the next year. Maybe we should hire him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's going to get fired, and whoever takes over the Orioles will drag that team to the World Series, but... No, I agree with you. I was pretty happy for Andy Green. I think there's been some instances where Green's been a little bit too cerebral, I think, for people. You know, I don't want to hit somebody to give him a free bag. And and I can understand. I, I think the Dave Roberts situation is not his fault. What the hell was he supposed to do? The umpire stepped in front of him. Yeah. And Dave Roberts was a coward and pushed him from behind. But I think from a managerial standpoint, just going strictly off that, Green has been my favorite Padres manager in a long time. Bochi was not the same manager here that he's been in San Francisco. He's actually evolved as time has gone on. Green, to me, is the one guy that we finally have that understands you know, the process of the game in terms of moving forward. He's very big on shifts, very big on the scouting reports, very big on lineup construction, and developing the young guys. I mean, Perella is playing every single day. Spangenberg, Asquai, these guys are playing every day. Uh, even Dusty Coleman is getting, he's 30 years old, but he's finding ways to utilize his roster and give those young guys a chance, like Margot. He's not doing that stupid, you know, they got to learn the speed of the game by sitting on the bench crap that Bochi and Bud Black did. Remember, Bochi was the same guy that sat Mike Piazza and uh, Josh Barfield in the playoffs in 2006. Yeah. For, also, for Bo no reason. Bochi wasn't big on playing X Nady either. No. You remember. No, he was. I mean, he had a valid reason. Why are you going to put a guy at third base when he hasn't played it in like five or six years? But there's a, you got to find a way to get players in. Bochi wasn't big on that until he had to in San Francisco. Green, on the other hand, is not he's not veteran-friendly. I mean, he doesn't seem afraid to bench a guy. He, he dumped Will Myers down in the lineup. I mean, that's not something a, a veteran manager or a player's like Dusty Baker, I don't think, would do that type he of thing. He even gave Myers, I think it was like three or four games off in a row. Yeah, he gave him two games off, plus they had a travel day. So he got like three days straight where he didn't play him at all. He said, hey, amigo, go down to Adelita's and get right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe I'll go down to Adelaide as well. I'm at it. I'll meet you down there, Will. Don't come back for a few days. Yeah, just, just take a take a vacation. Take a sabbatical. Yeah. But I, I like Andy Green. I, I like the way he handles the bullpen. I like that he is very willing to shuffle guys in and out. He put Hand in the closer's job earlier this year. It didn't really work out, so he put Maurer back in there. Now he put Hand back in there. Uh, he's been very aggressive with how he's using Kirby Yates of late. Yeah. There's that whole, you know, Joey Votto gate. But beyond that, Yates went from basically just kind of coming in to mop up He's a high-leverage reliever for them. Uh, Phil Maton's another one, and Maton's been up and down. He's kind of struggled this year, yeah. uh, unfortunately. But Green just continues to run him out there. Um, he's put Jose Torres in the uh, high-leverage roles and moved him out. So I like that he's willing to move guys around um, to try to, A, help them develop, and B, just be strategic and saying, you know, this isn't working, so let me bring another guy in here because I don't care about the saves. I just want to make sure I have the right guy in the right spot. And I think Green's been wonderful. He's been my favorite Padre manager to watch to this point since it kind of became something you paid attention to. It is interesting, but I feel like the the older the older I get, the more I kind of look at it, I'm like, how much does a manager really matter? Not much. I think a manager can lose games more than he can win games. 
um, because of certain like, the, the Joey Votto situation is obvious. You know, Green lost that game for them, um, but I do think the manager. I, it, it really comes down to Loft. The Padres aren't any good due to Loft, and if you don't know what Loft stand for, lack of fucking talent. <laughs> so, I was wondering where you're going with that. Yeah, lack, and I and I will throw it out if there's anybody on that Padres message board. Good old Caminito, the Hall of Famer, actually came up with that one, I think, on the uh, Padres message board. But that's what it is. It's Loft. You know, Andy Andy Green. We I, should name our adult league team that. Loft. Loft. <laughs> team Loft. Yeah. Loft. What is that still? Lack of fucking talent. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it's true because, you know, this is the thing. And I brought this up last time we talked. Bud Black is probably going to win manager of the year. He's yeah. probably going to win NL manager of the year. Not because he went to Colorado and change the culture, or he's a pitching coach over there, and because he's helping out, and oh, he's, he's changing the way they think. No. We watched Bud Black for enough years to know that he's a fairly incompetent manager. He's a mediocre manager who's fairly incompetent at player development. Look at all the guys that flopped. Jed Jerko's the biggest example yeah. of guys that flopped when they came up here and then went to another team that just said, go out there and do your thing, and all of a sudden he got better. It makes no sense. You can say Alonzo, too. Yonder Alonzo's another one. Why the hell did anybody figure out for them to hit the ball in the air? I don't understand it. Grandal. Grandal's a big one. Yeah. Grandal's a big flop under Bud Black because instead of backing him up on how he wanted to call the games, he backed the pitchers up and basically let the pitchers run the team in terms of who wanted it, who was going to catch. And Grandal got the short end, and then we got Matt Kemp out of it. So that was great. Oh, man. But... You know, when you look at it, Bud Black's going to win, not because he's helping the team win. They're just overperforming. But he's going to get it because, oh, you know, Bud Black changed the culture. Bud Black didn't do jack shit. He came over here. He actually cost us the playoffs in 2007 when he suplexed Bud, uh, Milton Bradley's knee out of its socket. But Choked in 07, choked in 2010. Choked in. Well, I mean, even then that wasn't his fault because that's, you know. Really? He, there was like a 10-game slide. There was, but that's because guys like Correa started sucking. Wade LeBlanc sucked. But the other thing, too, is he didn't put Corey Lupke in the damn rotation until it was too late. So that's yeah. his fault, I guess. But the thing is, is that at the end of the day, you know, it, it's like the fans that complain about Dave Roberts, uh, the Padres. He probably, never got an yeah, interview. He never got an interview. You know, he never got a chance. The fact is, I could probably manage the Dodgers to the playoffs. I mean, they're a stacked team. They have Bellinger coming up, who's every bit as good as Aaron Judge. Probably better. By the way, have you seen Bellinger's girlfriend? Yeah, I saw her on Twitter the other day. She's a seven war. Yeah. She's, she's a solid she's seven a, she's war. She's an 80 on the 2080 scale. Solid, solid girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Bellinger's doing very well for himself. Yes, he is. But, um, you know, the thing is, is that Dave Roberts would not manage the Padres if to to the playoffs. If you gave no. Andy Green the Dodgers, they'd be every bit as good. Maybe they'd be a little bit more strategic. But, I mean, you know. Andy Green is probably perfect for that front office anyways, and Dave Roberts probably gets a lot of information from that front office, and he's a rookie manager. He's not going to sit there and pull a Don Mattingly. Like, Mattingly probably has more autonomy in Florida than he did in L.A. But the thing is, is that if you give any manager that team in L.A., you give any manager the team in Washington, I mean, Matt Williams, who didn't know jack shit about manager, was, I mean, outside of Mike Matheny, was probably the worst, the worst tactical manager in the National League when he was there. He took the Nationals to, like, their best record and took them to the playoffs. Also, I think my thing is, at this point, like, who else Who else are we going to bring in? Nobody. Manny Acta. I feel like Manny Acta should get a shot. He was pretty solid, even though his team sucked. But, again, it's not his fault he had lack of fucking talent. Ozzy Gian? <laughs> no. <laughs> I remember there was a rumor, wasn't there, that didn't we interview Gian, I think? I don't know. We may have. That'd I, be sweet. I feel like, oh, God, that'd be a shit show. Oh. Phenomenal. Oh, God. 
I would like that. But yeah, I don't know how much a manager really makes a difference, but I am happy that, you know, he's, I like seeing that he is seemingly going to be rewarded for sticking through this dog shit roster. And developing players. I mean, he has developed guys. He's stuck with Hedges. They are putting a lot of trust because in the next couple years that they signed him through that extension, there's going to be yeah. a lot of development, a lot of guys that they're trusting their development with him. Yeah. I, I think I, the way I look at it is I see a guy like Hedges struggling. I see him benched under Bochi. Like, Bochi's going with the Oh, Hedges. yeah. Bud Black is going with Hector Sanchez as often as he possibly can. Oh, yeah. We saw that with frickin' Rene Rivera over here. Who the hell is Rene Rivera playing over Grandal? Yeah. It's amazing. Well, that has something to do with the pitchers, too, because the pitchers didn't want to throw to Grandal. It's the manager's job to put his foot down and say, shut the fuck up. You're going to pitch to the guy that's our best option for the team, not who you want to pitch to. So well, get back out there. From our uh, hashtag sources. <laughs> The big three, and I use that term very loosely. <laughs> the big three. <laughs> Ross, Kashner, Kennedy. Kennedy pitched a Grandal, though, I felt like. I felt like he's the only guy that pitched a Grandal. Who was the third one? Whoever it was. I know Ross and Kashner for sure. Shields. Hated Grandal. Shields. Probably was Shields. Oh, no, because we traded Shields. We got Shields that year. Oh, yeah, before. you're right. I don't know who that Hated was. Grandall. Would not Kashner throw Kashner and Ross did because they would wanted not to, throw to Grandall. He wanted Harden in, soft it away, and they wanted to throw everything outside. Yeah. It's like, how did that work out for you, Kashner? Exactly. How are you doing this year? Yeah. So I really don't know how he's doing this year. He could be doing pretty well. Kashner, I don't know. He's I don't injury know. prone. I haven't given I haven't given one fuck about what Kashner is doing. Neither right do now. I. So but, it's um, cool. I mean, I'm I'm I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. You got you got some time to work, Andy Green. It's I wonder how he feels going to work now, knowing that it's like, hey, I he have only this three security. years, right? Initially, like last year would have been his last year. I, next year would have been his last year. Or, yeah, next year, excuse me. Yeah, and they said he didn't want. They didn't want him going in the year as like a lame duck manager on a one-year deal, so they wanted to secure his future. Which I get it. Maybe the troops are rallying around now for Green, and they'll win. I, and I really think Preller. This is the way I look at it. Like Preller, when he came in here, was very aggressive. I mean, they gave you know what's his face? What the hell is the guy's name? Pat something. The, the interim, Pat Murphy. Pat Murphy. I think they gave him the interim job just to look at it. Um, I don't think Bud Black was ever long for the Padres. I do agree with uh, the take at that time. If he wasn't your manager that year uh, or next year, he probably wasn't the manager the year of. I do think Preller wants to keep it around because I do think that he he was very methodical in how he built his staff. He brought over the guy from Texas. I forget his name. He brought in Logan White from the Dodgers, which huge move. Uh, you know, Ganey in terms of player development, all the scouts that they revamped with and have more scouts now than ever. I think Preller was very methodical in how he built his staff. I think getting Mark McGuire in here was methodical. So I, I and McGuire's the second. He's number two in command right now. He's a bench coach. Obviously, they keep Ballsley because, you know, he's a great pitching coach. So I think Preller is basically saying, look, I, I we are a team. We are in this for the long run. I want you to be here while we build this roster to give you something to work with. You know, you mentioned the Dodgers, and we'll, we'll switch gears a little bit. What do you think? Because I've been seeing this talk around Twitter a lot. I hope they don't win the World Series because we'll never hear the end of it from a certain family member. Yeah, never. Um, what do you think about the take where a lot of people are saying, hey, you know, like, yeah, Tatis is great, but we need other pieces. Like, we need other championship pieces because the we need Dodgers a team don't to beat have the that Dodgers. Many championship pieces. Let I don't the, know. They have Seeger. They, they have, have Bellinger. They have, they have three. Well, they have four. They have four they championship guys. They have a guys. very solid core. They do. So here's the core. It's Seager and Bellinger. Those are the core. They've got more reinforcements coming, but none of those guys are as good as those two. They have Kershaw, of course, who's the best pitcher of his generation. It's not even close. Right. 
And then, of course, they have Turner, who's been an absolute superstar for them. But beyond that, everybody else is a very good to maybe borderline all-star player. Jock Peterson was a borderline all-star player. He just got year. demoted. He just got demoted, yeah, because they, he's been hurt and he hasn't been playing. And they got Granderson, who's yeah. hit 500 home runs in three days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you look at uh, who plays second base for them. Oh, they've got like guys overperforming, like a Chris Taylor. Uh, Grandal's a very—he's not an all-star, but he's a—I mean, he's borderline all-star. He's a very good catcher, like he was supposed to be with the Padres. Uh, who plays second for the Dodgers? I don't know. I don't know either. Got me. They got guys like uh, Kike Hernandez, who plays really well in, in different spots. Uh, Puig, who's a who's a very solid everyday right fielder. Um, so they have pieces, and their pitching, their rotation isn't that impressive. I mean, they got you Darvis now, but before that, it was basically Kershaw, Rich Hill, you know, your neighbor's dad. And then yeah. pretty much, you know, three other guys. The thing with the Dodgers, though, is that they have those core pieces. I think the Padres have that in Tatis. I think they have that. Yeah, in, but who else? I think they have that in Manny Margot. I think they have that in Possible Urias. And I think they have that in Hedges. Hedges has impressed me with his amount of power. If he can hone in on the plate discipline and get on base at a 300-320 clip, he is an all-star catcher. There's no doubt with that defense and that, that kind of 15-20 to 20 home run power, all-star caliber catcher you look at Margot I think Margot only has better things to come he's got more power than anybody would have admitted right. we even talked that maybe if he changes the swing mechanics he could be 15 home runs he might run into 15 this year yeah I mean he could he could get hot he keeps hitting these multi-home run games every sprinkles one in every month he needs three more yeah and he, he hits he, that 15 yeah, mark and he's got another month and a half to do it but I do think Tatis if he's every bit as good as he's being billed by pretty much every publication except Barry Bloom, he he is a superstar caliber player at shortstop. Urias is an above-average all-star caliber second baseman. And then you have the pitching, which I think is really the plus. Look at how good the Mets were. All yeah. they needed on offense was Conforto and Cespedes the year they went to the World Series. Everybody else was solid but not great. And then they had that pitching. The Potters, by the time 2020 rolls around, which I think is going to be... And by that time, let's face it, there's a few more years of wear and tear on Kershaw's arm. There is. Gonzalo. Well, I mean, He can't be elite forever. He He's can't. eventually going to slow down. And I think by the time when he kind of hits that mark where he's slowing down, that's when we're going to start getting better. I agree. And I think that's going to be 2020. I think the Potters have a legitimate opportunity to compete. Maybe they don't finish... You know, for a wild card spot or anything, but I think they're going to be an 80 plus win team by 2020 if it all goes well. Because look at the reinforcements that are coming. You have Quantrill who's close. You have Lauer who's close. Quantrill is probably going to be a top of the rotation. I really think John Lackey is a great comp for what Quantrill is going to be a bulldog, you know, hard nose, going to gut out six or seven innings every night and give you great run prevention, but maybe not be a top of the rotation starter. I'm they not that high on Quantrill, but go ahead. Really? Not, not so much anymore. Really? Why? I don't know. Like, he doesn't impress me, really. Nah, and I, I don't have a scout's eye. But from, just from what I've seen... Neither do I. <laughs> I know. But just from what I've seen, I I don't know. I, I, I try to stick to the reports. Nothing I, is overpowering that he has. No, but he's finesse. And, I mean, again, it's his first full season back. So who That knows? is true. But I, I see him up. Then you have a guy like Morahone, who's just an absolute... I mean, he's a number one guy. And then you have As Michelle Byers. Yeah. And then you have... And I was going to save him for last. And then you have Mackenzie Gore. Who could be up? I mean, his ETA right now is 2020. He's he just got out of high school, guy. He just he literally just went to prom hoping to get laid. Yeah. And he could be up in 2020. So I mean, when you look at all that pitch, and that doesn't include the kid they got for Derek Norris or any of the other kids that they've got, you know, out of uh, and who they're getting in the draft this year. Yeah. 
Plus these other kids that they signed last year that we haven't even heard of. Was it Bolaños, I think was his yeah. name? There's another guy that's Osvaldo got Osvaldo Hernandez. Yeah. they got another lefty out of Cuba. Yeah, I mean, they have all this talent, all this pitching. I think that's what's going to carry them and that they're going to get these position players to click. If Tatis and Urias click with Myers being solid, you know, average to above average, plus Margot in center, plus Onya, who could be up by that point. But even then, just this, that, just that idea. If you have Myers at first, who's going to be like 28 or 29 in his prime, hopefully. Hopefully he will have put it together by then. Even if he's, even if he's hitting 20% above league average, I think Myers is going to be an above average player long term, and I think people will kind of subside from the hate on him. But then you got Hedges up the middle. You have Urias at second, Tatis at short, Margot in center, Myers at first, Quantrill in the rotation. Uh, who knows? Fucking Espinosa could be up by then. Who knows? But Quantrill, Baez, um, help me out here. Morahone, Gore. I mean, good grief. Moustakis at third base. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, Machado at third base. Yeah. Harper in left field. No, but I mean, I'm just, you know, in all serious, just think of the Gore, Quantrill, uh, Lucchese, Lauer, God knows who else, Baez, Morahone. I mean, that's that that could be, you know, their 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 pitching staff. Myers at first in his prime, Urias, Tatis Jr., Hedges, Margot, maybe even Onya, maybe even Terso Ornelas, who is raking, by the way, if you guys want to look him up. He's got he's got really good reviews so far. Very good. Yeah. I mean, he's my sleeper pick, partly because I'm biased because he's Mexican, but nonetheless. <laughs> but I mean, I think 2020 is gonna be really exciting, and the best part is. A lot of these guys are already in double A. Yeah. Like we mentioned earlier. They're being very aggressive. When these guys are playing well, they're getting promoted. And I couldn't be happier to see that. I'm, you know, I think the guy, and I might regret saying this later, but I don't care. I think the guy position-wise that I might be the most excited about, I mean, we, other than Tatis, we know Urias is going to hit. We know he's going to get on base. The power might come. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I think the guy who I'm really intrigued by is Jorge Onya. Very much. I'm really intrigued by him because he's got, it seems like he's got the hit tool. He has an eye. He's been walking. Yep. He hits, the power, in-game power is not there quite yet. But well, he's very young. And again, you know, these Cuban kids come. take time off when they, exactly. when they defect. I'm really excited about Onya. I think, I think whatever you get from him defensively, probably out and left, is whatever. Left field defense don't matter, guys. It's it's second to last on the defensive spectrum. It's the second least important position in, in on defense. Don't worry about it. I see him easily being a 25 to 30 home run guy. Oh, I can see it. I, I mean, I'd take, honestly, 20 to 25. You know, not getting the counting numbers, but um, no, I, I he's very, very intriguing. I'm also intrigued by Hudson Potts, who just got yeah. named Player of the Week. There's another guy we don't hear about. Very young, too. Yeah, they just moved uh, Gabriel Arias up in right. the shortstop to take over for Tatis Jr. He's another intriguing guy that they just signed. And he doesn't hitting that well. They're aggressive. Oh, God. God almighty, I forgot to mention. Goddamn Logan Allen and Jacob Nix. Yeah. Jacob Nix is probably going to crack at least Fangraph's top 100. He was named uh, the midseason uh, just miss list. Also, let's point it out. A lot of these guys, especially the pitchers, are going to get packaged for pieces. Maybe. Oh, Jesus. They will. We forgot about Paddock. <laughs> we're not We're not going to. You can't throw all those guys at once. No, you can't. You can't carry. Some of these guys are going to be bullpen arms. You can't I mean, carry 24 yeah. pitchers, though. Yeah, some of these guys will be bullpen arms. M Michelle Bias could be a bullpen arm. Um, Lucchese is probably a bullpen arm. Right. But, yeah, you're right. Some of these guys, uh, some of these guys aren't going to make it. Some of these guys are going to get packaged. For something else. Some of these guys might not even pan out. Quantrill could be the next Mark Appel, where he just he's got great stuff. He just can't he's he's just not deceptive. He can't, you know, he can't fool hitters. And they could trade him to get a Ken Giles type. I hope they don't trade him to get a closer. But 
you see what I'm saying is that they can move him and say, you know what, we don't have a third baseman. We got to get somebody over here. Let's go ahead and make a deal to try to get whoever's third baseman is coming up on the free agent market soon, and, and we're trying to make a deal to get him. Yeah. I don't know who that would be. Rendon. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> My sleeper MVP pick, Anthony Rendon. Yeah, who knows? But, I mean, that's, but that's, this is the point. And, again, I always advise guys to follow Keith Law because he, he very much harp, uh, harps on in this is that, and the Red Sox are a prime example of this. Look at Devers. They traded Moncada basically to keep Devers. You want to build a system so deep that you can funnel that talent into the major league system? The Red Sox have Ben Attendee, Bradley, and Betts in their outfield, all drafted by the Red Sox. Their infield is Pedroia, Bogarts, and uh, Devers, all drafted by the Red Sox. So that's what you want to do, plus having the pieces to move a Moncada and a Kopech to get a Chris Sale, who might win the AL MVP. The thing that, the thing that does make me nervous, though, about when I mentioned trading pieces for – or trading prospects for pieces that, sucks that you at need. Trading. He doesn't have a good track record of that. I think he has a better prospects. track record. Yeah, I think he has a better track record than people give him credit for. The the Kemp trade, awful. He didn't trade any prospects well, in that he one, didn't. Though. The Justin Upton trade. Terrible. Awful. Like, a, a one season of Upton really should have been a half season to give up that much? Awful trade. I'd have taken it for if we'd have gotten Fulmer from the Mets. But at the same time, we also traded... A closer to get four solid pieces. Yeah, and from one the Red of those Sox. pieces is amazing Very in the minor leagues right now. Logan Allen, Aswahe's hitting. Yeah, I mean he's he's earning his spot. So he has a track record of making good trades, really good trades, and also really bad trades. You he never has a know what you're really good track record of trading veterans for minor leaguers. He doesn't have a great track record of trading trading minor leaguers for veterans. I do, however, think that it's kind of unfair to judge that because I think at the time that he was dumping out the system. These guys were not high ceiling guys, you know. I, uh, Max Fried was probably the best prospect he may have traded, and uh, he hasn't really been that great, Max Fried. No, he has. I mean, he's really young. He also got hurt for a little while. He's, he's been he hasn't been healthy, but I, I think it's a little unfair. I'm going to be interested to see what Prowler's going to do when there's a legit. I mean, he had to trade a lot to try to make that team competitive. If everything goes, you know, and these some of these prospects starts hitting, it's not going to take as much to get that one piece. I mean, he needed to get Myers, Norris, Upton. Uh, Kemp. I mean, he got four pieces in one shot. That's hard to do. That's half your lineup. I don't think he's going to need to do that if these guys click and he needs to get a third baseman or a left fielder or whoever or a pitcher. I think he can pull that one off. Yeah. Also, another kind of future piece, and this is very, very early, but that we didn't mention, Estre Ruiz. Oh, yeah. You had mentioned somebody on Twitter, uh, some scout compared him to uh, Alfonso Soriano. Yeah, the bat speed of Alfonso Soriano. Hell, he can play third. Yeah. Oh, dude, I got rock hard when I heard that Soriano comp. Ooh. Love it. I know I know. Soriano got some not-so-great love when he got to Chicago. He's well past his prime. He's kind of a short-shelf short, uh, life. I like Soriano a lot, though, honestly. I liked him a lot when he was with the Yankees and the Rangers. Once he, and in the Nationals, he's whatever. Once he went to the Cubs, though, it was kind of towards the, you know, the down end of his career. But if you get five years out of that, that's great. Uh, side note on Soriano, some fun trivia. When the Rangers traded A-Rod to the Yankees, they had their pick of the litter in terms of prospects. Well, not the pick of the litter, but the two guys they got. I think I got Michael Young out of that deal. But the two guys that they had to choose from was Alfonso Soriano and, don't you know, Robbie Cano. Oh, really? And Robbie Cano was never considered a top prospect, not because of tools, but because he came off as... And this is not hard to believe. Lethargic. Lethargic. Lazy. Yeah. And so he's never considered a top prospect. So they went with Soriano, who was, you know, the B's fucking knees, because he was already up. I mean, he's thinking he was on playoff teams at that point. 
So they took Soriano because, you know, Cano was already major league ready. And we all saw how that panned out. Robinson Cano is the greatest second baseman of his time. He might be the best since, like, Jill Morgan. Yeah, <laughs> very, very good. I, I think that they would like to have that trade back. As would I. You know, I, th- I would have just taken A-Rod for 10 years. Yeah. I <laughs> just paid him. Yeah, me too. You know, what I really want to see, and I don't I don't know how this is going to come off. I don't know how this is going to sound. but Probably I was thinking, offensive. You know what? It probably is, but I don't care. I was thinking, <laughs> with all of these prospects coming up and really let's be honest all these latin prospects coming up i want to start going to the games and have a world baseball classic feel oh my the, god that would be crowd. amazing that's not offensive at all i think i think the padres should really play that up like when these kids start coming up you get the tatis like like start going crazy like now i mean you have the sexy section with oh, edges so fucking lame oh god god dude. it's awful absolutely atrocious the sexy section is the dumbest thing they have come up with actually i take that back it's not as dumb as charging people a a more expensive special ticket package to get a giveaway hat yeah so what i want to see is and i saw that they had the sdsu um marching band i'm pretty sure in the in the crowd that game like i want to see shit like get some drums going in the fucking stands they should just reach out to uh, listen make the games fun again they (laughs) make baseball fun again because right now it's sad it is sad yeah sad uh but uh i want to see that energy because they they bring it on the field so if if it can be matched in the stands you know what make it the place to be i agree with you look at solarte like solarte brings that 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 fire that 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 Latin American energy when he plays. I think that's a hell of a marketing idea when these guys start coming up to start reaching out. I, I think Urias is going to help because he's, he's Mexican-born. Um, right. But I do think that it would be smart of them to start reaching out to those communities because people may, uh, people think San Diego right by Mexico, so everybody here that's here is Mexican. If you're not white or black, you're Mexican. Not true because the, the the community for the Dominican Republic showed up big time. Oh yeah, at the Petco Park uh, end of the uh, World Baseball Classic. So, I think you're right. The Padres would be smart to reach out to the Latin community and say, "Hey, we're gonna have Latin American night. Well, whatever your ethnicity is, show up with your flags, show up with your jerseys, bring the drums. We want a we want a World Baseball playoff. You know, type we want a fucking party. Yeah, we want a party. party. Like we don't want Petco to be the place where you go on the we way to the bars. Yeah, we don't want to be Titleist Visor Night for Grandma and Grandpa. We want you to come here and we want you to have some fun. Yeah, are we gonna have? Uh, well, and to their credit, actually, when they're doing all these hats, like the the Filipino heritage hats, the Mexican, like they're doing all these different hats, which. Uh, well, whatever. I mean, they're trying, so maybe that's the first step, and that's yeah. okay. Um, are we going to have a uh, Luis Urias? Are we going to have a Vuvuzela night oh, at God. the park? Where they, they give out Vuvuzelas the first uh, 5,000 fans? Free Padre Chanclas to the first 10,000 fans. Yeah, but, so uh, that's what I want to see. Yeah, and, and the giveaways, like, I, I know why they do the giveaways, but I, I think actually making a point, like... Get the players to go out to the to the different inner city communities. They do that. They do do that. To their credit, they do that. They do that, but I think they need to they need to make a, a conscious effort to get the fans to the ballpark. It's expensive as hell as it is, but get them to the ballpark. Get them out to the deck and say, "Hey, we're gonna have you know Latin American night at the Sun Deck." Yeah. So you know if if you know you want to show up, if you bring in you know this or that or whatever, just show up, park at the park tickets, and pack the deck. Play the drums. Play the flute. Play the whatever the hell you want to bring. Just pack the deck 
and encourage these guys to cut loose. Like in the post game interviews, you see them sometimes they're just so subdued. Like yeah. they want to make sure they're saying the right thing. Yeah. Cut loose a little bit. You know yeah. what I mean? Let them you know go. I mean? Yeah, give them a couple shots when they get in the <laughs> when they get in the dugout. Like, yeah, uh, uh, the behind, behind the scenes, uh, we had a couple of shots today to celebrate a coworker's 21st birthday. Yeah, they're not here. We just did it because you know. Yeah. What's what's we're what's being a, supportive. Yeah. What's a couple of shots of spice rum? Yeah. That's but, really uh, what I want to see. Honestly. I love it. As a fan, that's what I want. I would love it because the World Baseball Classic atmosphere is completely different than anything you're used to. I mean, if Canada was playing the U.S., it wouldn't be as great. But Well, by the way, yeah. Latins, they love the flair, and they they love the uh, the culture. And those unis you're wearing now, that's not going to cut it. You, you, should, oh. you should probably switch those up while you're at it, and yeah. I think they will. But Yeah, I, I, let's go back to the brown and gold. Let's go back to the brown and gold. So 98 pinstripes. I, I love those, but I don't think they're going to go to those. It's, for some reason, they're not as popular. Who was it on Twitter? And I saw it on Twitter. They posted their own mock-ups of these uniforms. I was going to tag you in it, but I can't remember who it was. I don't know, but the mock-ups on Twitter that I see of the brown are like 100 times better than anything the Padres And it's out. the same uniform. They just changed the damn color scheme on it. How hard is it? Yeah. Anyway, speaking of how hard it is, it's going to be very hard to get up in the morning because it's about 2 o'clock in the morning now Yeah. Uh, on Tuesday morning. So we're going to about wrap it up. want to thank everybody for listening. Got anything left, Eric? Um, nothing much. We appreciate you guys checking in again. Sorry for the week off. We really wanted to record, but it just, hey, it just didn't happen. Travis Wood left us limp. Yeah, he sure did. Uh, kind of flaccid in that department. but uh, Loose bacon. Yeah, working on a couple things. Um, I'm going to reach out to someone here in the... Uh, in the week, try to get a guest lined up for you guys. I don't, I don't know. Does anyone like when we have guests on, or they just want well, to we've only us? had one? So I mean, the, you know what? We got the most listeners. We had almost 200 people the last time we had a guest on. So maybe if we get another one, maybe we'll get 200 this time. There's not really people who are flocking to come on the show anyway. Hey, we had we'll one see. guy tell us that the worst part of our show is that we're not on every day. So we've got, we've got a flock of people coming. Exactly. So we appreciate you guys tuning in. We will check in next week. There will be a show next week, unless. Who knows? Unless, unless hashtag single dad issues arise, but yeah. I doubt it. Also, there was, um, this is one thing I want to throw out there. So with uh, um, uh, Padres Jagoff, he recorded a podcast with John Conniff from Mad Friars. And he recorded a podcast. I think there was another one. And uh, Marver changed the Padres. He has them, but he's not putting them out. Why? For whatever reason, he hasn't put them out. I know. Is he is he hurting because Jagoff <laughs> got a different host? I don't know. I don't know. So anyways, like um, Leisure Fryer is going absolutely nuts. Like, hey, post them. Oh my God, post them. So anyways, Leisure Fryer, here's your fucking podcast. We'll see you guys next week. We're out of here.